Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Nora Jindi, an educator from Saudi Arabia. Nora, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Emma, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Nora, you grew up in Saudi, but you went to university at the American University of Beirut. What was Lebanon like in those days? Interesting question to start with. Uh, Lebanon at that time was uh, nothing related to what Lebanon is today. Uh, it was a stable, uh, balanced, um, full of uh, culture, knowledge, alive, vibrant. This was the Lebanon I went to. And what year was this? This, I went in 1997. And I stayed there until 2003 for both my undergrad and master's. I I definitely went through a kind of a shock after living all my life in Saudi Arabia and then going into an educational institution in uh, Lebanon, let alone an American environment. Uh, It was, of course, uh, eye-opening, took some time to get used to, but within a year time, I was, I was well settled and I started to see the positives that are there that I did not enjoy as a student back home. So explain that. Extracurricular activities, clubs, um, being open to listen to different opinions, uh, debate, discuss issues, see different forms of your religion, being presented and exhibited, and they're all good, but they're just presented differently. So I had to um, be more open-minded and more accepting when I went there. Now, I know that you're quite a dancer. So while you were at university, were you dancing all the time as well? Uh, Not much. I'm not a a big fan of... (laughs) Uh, uh, clubbing or uh, celebrating uh, nightlife. In fact, I would be myself and my cousin, who was my roommate at that time, in the dorms, maybe the only people in the dorms on Saturday nights. Everybody would be sleeping out. So not much. It's something that I like, but I, uh, I don't practice much, honestly. But you felt, I assume from what you're saying, you felt tremendous freedom in Beirut. Yes. Uh, freedom and just, you know, um, enjoying the small things in life, enjoying the independence, enjoying uh, driving, walking in the street. When you feel like doing something, you can do it. No restrictions. And this is the uh, what we lacked uh, back then in Saudi. Alhamdulillah, we have it today. <laughs> so explain that because... You know, when you went to Lebanon, you didn't need a male guardian. You could go and walk down the streets as just women on your own. And that was very different from life in Saudi. The change is uh, is major. What we are passing through today in Saudi uh, gives us all the uh, rights to be completely independent. As you said, no male guardian uh, required to accompany you if you want to go, if you want to travel, leave the country, um, visit judicial departments. Um, 
this feeling of independence, you can drive your car, which was not there. We were the only country until 2019 where women were not allowed to drive. So all of these small changes uh, gave us a lot of a sense of freedom and sense of you can rather than can't. We have always grew up in an environment where you can't, can't, can't. And this makes women today in Saudi not concerned about inclusion or equality, but rather they want to surpass their male um, colleagues in different environments. When I visited Saudi a few years ago, and I was thinking, how on earth can women live like this? What led to the change after all of those years of being so suppressed? Um, it's, it's the system. It's Vision 2030 that uh, was announced in 2016 by the Crown Prince. This, was, uh, this actually gave us hope. And this is leading us with all of the changes that are happening. And we are feeling it in our everyday life. Everything around us is changing so fast, developing. We have uh, our human capital is very rich. Many of them are very educated, yet they were not given the chances. Today, in the right environment, we are given the chance to flourish, prove ourselves, and uh, excel at what we want to do. It's not, uh, I think it, it's about time. It's not that we did not have the resources. We were just preparing for this shift in the previous years. But I assume, you know, there's strong conservative trends in Saudi Arabia. Are these conservative trends, are they pushing back against these new freedoms? Any change is coupled with some resistance. And the change that we are seeing today, because it is major and it is very big, you would find some people who might not agree with everything happening. But once they feel the, and they see the advantages, I believe they will be more convinced that this is the only right way to move forward as a nation. Now, you are passionate about education and you're a business educator working to ensure that students have the skills to succeed in the workforce. How do you better prepare students for the workforce? Um, interesting question. Yes, I am very passionate about preparing them for the workforce because I, from my own personal experience, when I studied at university, especially certain topics like marketing, for example, I thought it was very, uh, boring. I did not enjoy the classes at all. But when I worked and I joined Unilever, it was a, a transformational experience for me. I, I, I really enjoyed working in marketing. And I thought, why didn't I see that while studying? So this is why I tried as much as I can to prepare the students uh, to the real life to avoid this shock when they step out of the classroom to the uh, real meeting room in the workplace don't get this shock. What I do to try to help them and minimize this gap between theory and practice is involve them in uh, practical projects from real companies, whether it's locally or internationally. So we can go the extra mile as educators and instructors, 
step into the industry, get some initiatives from the industry, involve our students in it. It gives them a flavor of the real market and it increases their confidence as well. Uh, it's something that they can write on their CV. So it's a win-win situation. And for the companies as well, it's as if they are running a, a screening, an interview for potential candidates, and they're getting fresh ideas from students. So you have to present it differently for the industry to get them on board, involved in uh, teaching those students. Of course, the second uh, biggest thing is education, uh, technology. So by integrating technology in our education today, we are able to do so many things that we couldn't have imagined just five years back. So students uh, sitting in the classroom in Saudi can have a class with other students. In fact, last summer they had a class in AUB. So it was a mixed online class between students from AUB, the American University of Beirut, and the Hikma University in Jeddah. So as well as international business challenges where they get involved and they're exposed to working with students from different cultures, backgrounds, and countries. You know, during lockdown, we've all got used to, you know, remote education using Zoom. And I've become a big fan of it. What, what do you see the future of education with new emerging technologies? Technologies will always uh, keep on advancing very quickly. And we as uh, educators cannot uh, deny that and we cannot avoid that. Because imagine everything is changing so quickly and education stops. So we're still teaching the same way we used to teach. This is a disaster. We have to keep up because this again is a gap for them. If we do not familiarize our students with digital technologies and letting them feel at ease, you, get, you train them on using these digital technologies and digital tools. So once they graduate, they're ready. They can also, it, because it will be part of their working environment and they have to be used to it. The use of educational tools should not replace the role of an educator, but rather complement, enforce and enhance. As we said, international exposure is now possible. It was not possible before. So this is how we can use educational technologies to fulfill the gaps that we had. We had many uh, obstacles and hiccups in the system where technology can step in. Another issue is that those students we teach today are digital natives and their language is technology. You have to speak to them in their own language. And this is what I realized when I studied my uh, master's in digital age education, that they are different. They read differently, they analyze differently, they grasp differently. You shouldn't mind um, communicating. I don't mind now communicating with my son who is sitting in the next room through texting. It's natural, this is how we text. Sometimes not even on WhatsApp, we text on Instagram and he would answer me faster. I have to accept that. And same goes with my students. If I have to tell my students, no, you cannot get in touch with me digitally. Everything is only in the classroom and I'm this, you know, the role of the educator back then, this does not work anymore. I'm not, I am more of a facilitator for them because they have access to the knowledge that they want. 
through the videos, through the lectures, through the online content. So we should be there to guide more than a lecture, honestly. Well, I know at Yale you've been hanging out a lot with the Arab students. What have you learned from that? What do you see of these young Arab students in America? Um, I was very happy to see the same welcoming Middle Eastern culture and those Arab students. Uh, they are like a family here. They meet on a regular basis for a meal every week. I realized how important it is to build the foundation that you can see later on in those students or those kids. The basic foundation that you build, the effort that you spend building the foundation is very important. Um, I was impressed by the level, of course, of depth in their arguments and the questions and how they view the world. They all have a lot of ambition to go there and make a change. It is, uh, it is honestly, uh, it makes all Arabs very proud to see those students flourishing in an institute like Yale. And they're all very uh, serious and keen on making a change. But some of them just, you know, they need to have, try to see a balance between both life on campus, life in Yale and life outside Yale. Because it's not only in the Arab students, but in general, Yale students are very serious and it might affect, affect their uh, communication, socialization, mental health. So a balance would be very good, not constant, constant, constant uh, achieving. Well, Laura, thank you. Everything you've done for our students during your time here. And I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you, Emma. Always a pleasure.